the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, 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 hey! <laughs> Through the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year that matter. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corder. Barry Corder is hula hooping as we speak. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It just puts you in the Bonnaroo spirit, doesn't yeah, it? I'm I'm that guy out in front of the tax office on the street. The <laughs> right. wind. Right. The, yeah. that, Arms. That, <laughs> That crazy, you know, windy plastic man that's flowing in the breeze. Welcome to the What Podcast. That's Barry Corder. I'm Brad Steiner. And today we're talking to the revivalist because you asked for it. That's exactly right. Because you asked for it. Um, we had a nice conversation in uh, week four, Brad. Yeah. And speaking of because you asked and, and I know you'll love this, but I got a call this morning at about 8 o'clock, which meant it was 5 o'clock his time mm-hmm. from our friend Dennis Haskins, Mr. Belding. Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell. From Saved by the Bell <laughs> okay. called, and in, in uh-huh. the course of our conversation, he said he went and saw Bozzy last oh, night. He? Okay. Another one of our guests yeah. in an upcoming episode. An upcoming podcast episode, so, sure. Uh, yeah, he said he was great, and uh, it's a great live show. So. Well, it's great live shows. uh we keep finding the artists over and over and over that that put on a great live show, and a revivalist pretty much made their name being a great live band. There's just a different feeling, at least for me, from the albums to the live show, and it's that live show that that made everybody, or at least our listeners, uh, reach out to us and say, "Get the revivalist, get the revivalist," because that live show is just unlike most others. Yeah, that's right. And what's neat about seeing a band like that at a Bonnaroo? My morning jacket comes to mind. What four hours in the yeah. rain several years ago? I, to be honest, I had not heard of them. Uh, was not a fan. Saw half of that show sure. and became a massive fan. So yeah, I only saw two hours. <laughs> the, a Bonnaroo podcast for Bonnarooians by Bonnarooians. Barry Quarter from the Chattanooga Times to Press. I'm Brad from Hits ninety six in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, we got a chance to talk to the Revivalist. Uh, start playing that here in a second. Later on the podcast, ways in which you can interact with us. You can win Bonnaroo tickets with camping passes, and we've got an update on uh, some giveaways that we've done over the past couple of weeks. 
to you, the fine What Podcast listener. The reason I like talking to the revivalists is because they have that thread that goes right to the history of Bonnaroo. Yep. If we talked to Ashley Caps last week, he's just one half of where it started. The other half was the New Orleans culture. That part of it, if you didn't know much about Bonnaroo, you f- definitely feel it at the festival. There always seems to be something that is so New Orleans that yep. happens on the grounds, it, whether it's Trombone Shorty showing up in every place, yep. or if it's the parade, or right. if it's food. The, sure. or, the name. The name itself. Bonnaroo is uh, Creole or Cajun for uh, a good time. Mm. Um, Superfly, which is now in New York, the co-founders, along with Ashley, are I think they started in New Orleans. So that's why you have that feel. Alan Toussaint was sure. it, always been there as the well. The Neville brothers Neville had brothers. like night or year after year after year they kept showing up. Yeah, playing three, four shows a weekend. Yeah, it definitely has that New Orleans kind of vibe and feel, and always has, and and I guess always will. So the revivalist, the star of this week's the What podcast. This was our conversation with the revivalist just a few days ago. By now, I hope that everybody uh, has heard the story of you guys because, Jesus, you guys have told it a thousand times. Um, but Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but it takes on a whole new life when you when you consider that the last year and a half of you guys' life, there's no preparation for it. Uh, there's absolutely no way to sort of wrap your head around maybe what the last year and a half might have been. And it, it is very almost storybook. Whether or not you, the, the, yeah. the, the beginnings of it exist or not, you guys sort of... Did I feel like old school way to go exactly. about a career? You, know, you you get a bunch of friends together, you go on the road with them in a van, you eventually get yep. a, a bus, and then oh my god, we might have a number one single on our hands, and then your life yeah. changes and you're headlining Bonnaroo. You're one of the headliners of Bonnaroo. That can't seem to make much yeah. sense to you right now, yeah. huh? Our audience is our Bonnaroo fans, so we maybe a little bit more in depth. But what is that like physically and, and emotionally? To go from the van to suddenly, and you have to be so proud doing a morning show with uh, Kathy Lee Gifford. That had to have been a high point. <laughs> but oh so, yeah, that was great. That was yeah. Great. So what is that uh, whole transformation like? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's sometimes I kind of try to like compartmentalize it and not really. I still try to think about just like, man, I'm glad I'm getting paid like anything to do any of this, you know. That that's certainly a thing. You're not working on a roof, that's for sure. Right. But physically for you guys, what is what are, I mean, what are the things is the is the van bigger, the hotel rooms nicer, people carrying stuff for you now, you still have to carry your I own mean, stuff. Our, what our changes? Lives, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our lives have yeah. changed um in pretty much every facet of it. To me it was almost like, you know, you're kinda of going up the, the you know how like, you get on a roller coaster and you go up and you're about to go down the hill and you're right over the thing you've been tread you know, You've been, you got all this anticipation and you're right there at the hill and then you go down and you still got a little bit of the woozies and you're like, oh shit, but you're just having the time of your life and then you go around this curve and you're like, oh shit, we almost fell out, but we made it, you know, so it's not to be too cliche, but really it's a bit of a roller, a roller coaster ride and we're still on I don't know. Hotels have certainly changed. They've gotten a little nicer. Our bus has, you know, gotten bigger, I guess, you know. Yeah, it went from band to bus. How does it change your your songwriting approach? Barry sort of asked it earlier. Uh, The pressure is also not only got to be refreshing, but it's also got to be a little bit debilitating. Does it change the songwriting approach to you? I was actually talking about this to, to somebody the other day and honestly like at this point in my life and where I'm at 
and we are at in our career, like, like I, I'm, I'm like, I'm happy with where we're at. So like, if we don't have another hit song and we just, you know, continue to do what we do, I'm cool. So like, I don't really, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like pressure to me. It's like, I don't really have the, I'm not feeling pressure to write another hit song because I don't care if we have a hit, you know, like, like I'm just kind of like, whatever. I don't write music to write hits. Yeah. Like it's just, it was never a thing. Like our, our single was a song that I, you know, it was a true feeling, you know, it was like, I really wish I had more time, you know, before I met my current girlfriend, you know, with you, like, you know, not to say that I met, you know, and wasted time with other people because certainly not you know it's all a part of a journey and it's all a part of you know us growing as as people to say that like am, am i feeling pressure to write that kind of stuff no nice it feels it feels you know it just feels like feels like any old any old day in the studio i guess Can you go anywhere ever and not hear that song? No. It's in every no. it's in every supermarket. My mother sings it. It is just one of the big monster hits of the last three years. Yeah. I'm betting if we go out in the our cars right now, it's on. And when we go home Somehow. turn the TV, it's going to be on. Sure. Yeah, it's everywhere. It and is a, a monster, monster hit. And it's a song that, that surely changed lives. Yeah. It's changed their lives. Changed their lives. Changed, uh, you, you, now the hotels are a little bit nicer. Sure. You know, people answer your phone calls. Right. <laughs> they return phone calls. We just need that hit, Barry. We just need I that know, one hit. Man, I know. And of course, the song changed over the course of the years as it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, the song kept getting longer and longer. You're going to hear it at Bonnaroo. It's going to be probably nine minutes long, uh, but that's just part of the festival atmosphere. For you guys, the revivalists, are you guys big festival fans? Do you find yourself immersed in the festival culture? When I'm trying um, to discover new stuff, I mean, you kind of can't do better than a festival. You know, it's like a musical buffet. Just being able to go, like, I've been exposed to so many things that I never would have heard of otherwise. Like a, a voodoo festival in 2004 when I was a freshman and it's like just moved to New Orleans. We wandered into some random tent and I was like, what is going on? There's like a shirtless Balkan man and two, two like uh, washboard players in striped tie. It was Gogol Bordello. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, Holy crap. That's pretty good. <laughs> These guys are insane. Yeah, stuff like that. Like you just, you get... You can't get those moments really at a, at, at another kind of thing. But for as a as somebody as an act as somebody playing, I'm, I like every show. Has anybody told you anything about Bonnaroo? Do you have like a, a thought in your head as to what Bonnaroo is and what you might expect when you get there? So we have uh, we've we played, we played here. Uh, we played Bonnaroo. Yeah. Did you? What year? Uh, yeah, yep. we played it in uh, 2000. 12, I think. Wow, okay. Probably something like that. Well, long time ago, um, before anyone even knew who the hell we were, for sure. 
Um, but we played the uh, one of the tent. I want to say it was the what's this tent or do you yeah. have a what are the what are some of the stage names? We um, did the we solar stage and we did the tent yeah. at some point. Like we did we did like yeah. two and a half shows I think. Wow. Yeah, we did the tent that was across directly across from um, from the main stage. And so whoever ended there, you know, they they ended and then as soon as they were done, it was Bjork. We went on. We went on. It was York, yeah. yeah. As soon as they were done, we went on, and there was, you know, it's an okay amount of people in there. I mean, I think by the, you know, the third or fourth song, there was you couldn't fit another person in. I just remember that show being one of those magical shows. That was one of those shows for me where you know how you just, you know, it's like there's an old saying. Um, it's like, you know, your the band does a thousand shows, 700 of them are going to be okay. Pretty good. 200 of them are going to be, damn, that was a fucking great show. 90 of those shows are going to be like, oh my God, dude, that was, that was, that was, those, that was the show, you know? Nine of those are going to be like, that was, that was life changing. Those, that was life changing. And then there's going to be that one show that makes you go do a thousand more. And that Bonnaroo show was that show. Wow, that happens. Awesome. That happens a lot. We hear that a lot, and I, I think yeah. honestly, that's why Brad and I do this because we've had those moments. Uh, you know, we're both veterans of more than a dozen uh, anyway, and we definitely have had those moments. And you don't know yeah. when they're coming. You don't know. You don't know when they're coming. Boy, this is amazing. And and see, this is this goes to show you. Even though Barry and I, between the two of us, have been to twenty seven Bonnaroo's, I just went back to the twenty thirteen lineup. The twenty thirteen lineup. You guys were on the last line. Oh wow! Last wow! Line. You were on the very okay. last line of the 2013 Bonnaroo lineup, <laughs> and now look at you! Now look wow. at you! Wow! Wow! It's been a good couple of years. You guys know where you're playing and what time? Not offhand. <laughs> yeah. Not offhand. Stumper right now. Okay. We're in the studio right now. That's like all I know. Yeah. yeah. yeah go to Phoenix really on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's about as far into the future as I tend to uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I tend to be aware of. <laughs> We've talked before about the fact that Bonnaroo does a good job of that, and it, it's fun for us as fans to see a band like you guys on a small stage one year, come back, and you're on a huge stage the next year. What is that like for you guys as, as band members? Is it something you think about, you strive for? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, it, you know, yeah. That's, the, that's the dream, right? Did you spend a lot of time on the farm that weekend, and do you plan to do that when you're here? Will you have time to go maybe see other acts and hang out and play with other people? Our we first time, time we did, we did have a couple, uh, we had a couple nights, because also I think we played one night, and then we had like a day show, and then another, like we had, I think we had things for three days of the weekend, so we got a lot of good, like good after night hangs. I love a festival that does stop after the headliner like that's one of my favorite moves when it's like all right paul mccartney or whoever's done now come to this tent and like watch this guy play a violin and a tuba over a dj beat or something till five in the morning (laughs) exactly that's to me that's like when festivals get real right uh so that's something i love about bonnaroo i think we're gonna have maybe maybe a night or two to explore but then the day after we got to get out or something so the Revivalist, the star of this week's show, because you asked for it and because they're so ingrained in New Orleans culture. Being from New Orleans, the way that they met, the way that they have grown, the way that this band has taken on a insane reputation for their live show and the 
crowds that they bring. This is going to be one of the big ones, I'm going to guess, on the witch stage Friday sometime mid-afternoon, late afternoon probably? Yeah, based on uh, the reaction that we've gotten, mm-hmm. I'm going to say they definitely will be one of the biggest ones. And uh, just listening to that last song, uh, they're a perfect Bonnaroo type act. Yeah, they are. And it, it's going to go in a lot of different directions. It's got such a, a, a voice that can go with anything. That's why he traveled with Galactic and was one of the traveling lead singers for that band. His voice can get soulful. It can get almost Rage Against the Machine-like. By the way, they cover Rage Against the Machine in their live show. The crowds just respond to them in different ways than just a normal yeah. just a normal rock show. It's funny. I don't know if you're the same as I am, but I can hear certain songs and, and they, they are one of those bands and I can just picture Midnight on the farm with the lights and the stage, and, I mean, and that's work. how I hear it. Right, you know? it could it could work in the mid afternoon. It could work at midnight. Uh, no matter what place you put them, they're gonna fit. Yeah, it's just a different kind of vibe than seeing them in a in a theater or yeah. a, some you know an arena or something. And I wonder if they take that vibe and they bring it to the studio for their new album. What a segue, because that's what we asked them. This is The Revivalist on The What Podcast. <laughs> so you're writing stuff now. How's it going? Pretty great. Pretty yeah. great. Do you guys like have it ready to go when you when you walk in the studio, or you just sort of like um, piecemeal it together when you get there? I've always wondered. Like I, we were doing Sturgill Simpson on our podcast last week, and Sturgill wrote this album, you know, A Sailor's Guide to Life. Uh-huh. And, and he had it all written and ready to go. And once he walked into the studio, he was done in four days. <laughs> Dang, that's a uh, that's a little bit more streamlined than we are. I think we're uh, you know we got like seven, I guess, kind of eight people now. We're all kind of all over the place in terms of what we want in terms of vision and how we kind of piece things together. Uh, this has been easier. This has been a little bit quicker than normal. We came in with a lot of stuff pretty well worked up, and we've been uh, working with a guy named Dave Cobb. Who uh, yeah, I know Dave. He, he did made, the Sturgill Simpson. Yeah, he did Sturgill. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one. I, uh, it was funny. I actually, I was watching the Grammys with my wife, and uh, when Chris Stapleton won the record, and he came up with him, and he's like, "Oh, that's that guy we're going to be working with in a month." That's right. That's, that's exactly cool. right. You know, the guys that that straddle the line between country and rock, boy, it's Dave Cobb, the guy you call. Yeah, I mean, he's he's remarkable too, just in terms of like ideas just kind of come out of him like a faucet. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so it's been really kinda... it's been really cool to work with him because it's a lot. It kind of cuts down a lot of the time that usually when we get in the studio, there's a lot more. More of like, okay, now we need to figure out like, should this be that or whatever or this thing? And he'll just come in and be like, okay, that, that, boom, boom, done. Track everything in one room. Finger in the middle of the room. It's and it's just awesome. It's been sounding really great. Have you done the previous albums the same way? Uh, no, normally uh, this has actually been a bit of a bit of an adjustment for us in terms of kind of how we how we use the studio. Normally we get in and we have ideas how we go and kind of. Uh, the producers we work with are more about kind of shaping what we're doing and basically just telling us when not to play. It's like telling who not to play at what point because there's a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> that's usually that's usually what we need more than anything. It's like, hey, if you drop out in the verse here. So normally we'll kind of track a couple things together and then do a lot of overdubs. And this has been a lot more kind of live and performance and the take is the take, which is very exciting and maybe a little bit scary. But what we've been able to hear so far is... It sounds like you're living really dangerously cool. a little bit. Oh, yeah. On the edge, man. Like when you have eight people in the room, is everybody contributing ideas or is that become a little bit too many cooks in the kitchen? Um, It can sometimes. I think for us at, at this point, we've been we've been a unit for long enough that everybody kind of has an idea of what we're supposed to do or what's what's generally our role or our part in kind of building up a song. It's been helpful having having a guy like Cobb in there, though, who's just like, 
Uh, you do this, you do that, and everybody's like, "All right, sure, guys, you're a genius." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, I was just getting ready to say it. You have to have a producer with a sort of strong will, don't you? Because you guys have been together long enough. You have that sort of uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that you know you can speak to each other without having to add all the apologies. I, yeah, I think we, you're a great yeah, guy, yeah, but you know. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's a good point. That's that's something that you know takes a long time to develop, and we definitely need somebody who is capable of telling us that we're all talking at the same time, and we need to stop doing that. We have that same issue here. That's just oh, in yeah. life. <laughs> and I don't mean to read tea leaves or try to you know go places I, I probably shouldn't. But if if Dave Cobb's working on it, are you guys uh, adjusting the sound a little bit? Um, you know that's kind of hard to say. I uh, I think that's something that an outsider might have a better idea of that than I do. To me, everything we do just kind of feels like us. Okay. Maybe the overall aesthetic, not necessarily like the songwriting and the tones and stuff, but kind of Cobb's approach about more. Of kind of, we don't need to have so much polish and kind of, like I said, let the take be the take. I think that's that's something that's a little different. So you get a new producer, you get back into the studio. How different is it from one to the next, from one album to the next, considering the success that you've had? How does this operation feel different if it does at all? So, well, so, I mean, it's been similar and different at the same time. Um, the thing's to me, that were similar, and Rob would probably, I'm sure, would agree. Where the meat of the album is um, has been us in the same room, just tracking everything together. I mean, I just remember just thinking back to last week. We cut two songs: uh, the song called uh, "Celebration" and the song called "Got Love." You know, we were kind of tracking them. You know, amps separated out in just different rooms, and I was kind of in the booth, and we were just like, "All right, you know what? Let's try something." He was like, "Dave, Dave said this. He was like, let 'Let's take all the amps.'" out of the out of the booth I want to get you in there in the room on a 57 you know recording just like how Elvis did we took all the amps out put them in the room I went in there with a uh, with a 57 and we just kind of cut the song live like we would do it you know at a show or whatever to kind of like really really truly capture some of that energy because uh, you know there is something that to be said about you know when we're all actually in the same room and our amps are in there and there's this bleed and it's just you know it's like a audio engineer's nightmare but <laughs> there is some magic yeah, I mean, that occurs there it's something like. that we're always wary about because there's so many of us and there's so much stuff going on that we're always like oh god but what about the isolation what if this thing happens and then we can't do that but then we just get the playback and it's like everything sounds cool and one thing i really like about Cobb is that a lot of times we'll be like last night uh michael our trumpet player and i were uh we were doing some horn stuff and at one point we were like hey i, I think i might have been a little out of tune there or something and Cobb's just like cool <laughs> he's like, like he's yeah. not trying to go back and fix it he's like that's real that's that's what makes it sound like a real performance right so this is fascinating because uh, you know if you hear about dave cobb this is a similar story that he's that he has with a lot of artists and that he likes that sort of live feel in a recording session. What's strange, though, is that if you, you take all the comments that we've gotten from this show so far, it's all been, if there's been a common thread, get the revivalist, get the revivalist, get the revivalist. And it's probably because those people that are asking about you guys have seen the live show. I've seen the live show. It's a different experience than on the record, and I wonder if it was a conscious or a subconscious decision by you guys or management or whoever to get maybe the producer in Nashville that specializes in live <laughs> in recording sessions live. Yeah. 
You know, it was a little bit of that. I mean, there was a little bit of that, but like, I, I just, I think we all kind of knew that his aesthetic uh, in doing that was definitely a thing. You know, we knew that for sure. To what extent that was going to, you know, we were going to utilize that, we had no idea just because we had just never really, you know, we'd never like, I'd never been, you know, I'm always like in the isolation. But it's like, we definitely cut stuff together. Like, that's how we record. But like, yeah, you room, standing right around, in the middle of the room with a live mic is crazy. Like, that's yeah. terrifying. That's like a tightrope, you know? Yeah. I think that's also something that maybe I think we've kind of been chasing that live feel on uh, on, a, on at least our last two records. But I think maybe it helps. It helps having a guy like Cobb who's kind of like he's going to push you off the off the cliff, you know? Yeah. You're standing at the high dive and you're like, I don't know if I can do it. And he's like, yes, you can. Yeah. That, Here's you a guys, hand in the small of your back and I'm shoving you off. You guys are Thelma and he's Louise. You guys are going off the cliff yeah. together. Exactly. <laughs> that image of exactly. you standing uncomfortably in the center of the room. I mean, that's that can be kind of a big deal. I wasn't yeah. comfortable. I was no, he was very comfortable. comfortable. Yeah, yeah. It was really, it was really yeah, that was kind of the point. It never even occurred to us to do this, and then it's just like, wow. The Revivalist, the star of this week's The What Podcast. More with the guys uh, coming up here in a minute. Barry, I think that what you wanted to jump into is how much pressure they're feeling about working on this new album, especially with a guy like Dave Cobb, and we'll get there here in a second, plus a very interesting story from The Road. Apparently they have a thing called uh, a Ringo. Yeah. There's a Ringo problem with these guys? Yeah, yeah. They were not a problem. They uh, When they were recording, uh, I don't remember if it was the last album or the previous one, but it was a pretty intense session, and uh, Rolling Stone had done an interview or a Beatles retrospective, and they had a full-page picture of Ringo, mm. and uh, one of the guys just kind of held it up in front of uh i think dave's or maybe rob's face just and didn't say anything right just this kind of yeah you know be there uh-huh. be inspired or whatever and so they've they've turned that into sort of a running gag uh-huh. uh like you do with somebody leaves their phone gotcha on the table yeah. you'll type something the, into their facebook yeah or they're a bit more gentle than i they're much more gentle now, they don't have a problem with ringo they like ringo very much it's just become this kind of running uh thing so yeah. well the uh the webpodcast.com the website you can interact with this anytime that's going to get you in for tickets to bonnaroo with camping access uh i wanted to go through some of the emails that we've gotten because last week we asked for some fun bonnaroo camping stories you shared some of those and you got in for Bonnaroo tickets. Uh, this comes from Timothy. Two years ago, we arrived Wednesday afternoon for our sixth Bonnaroo and started setting up camp. Opened up our trunk and found that the cooler had catastrophic failure, effectively soaking every item of clothing and camping gear we had over our 13-hour drive. Not a great way to start the vacation. They started setting things up, frustrated, struggling. They're tired, sweaty, and pissed. Kind of the opposite of what room meant to them. This is what he says. Well, our kind neighbors could see the struggle, stopped by, asked us if they could help, and basically took over our setup while lending us some dry threads and drink. Not the wildest story in the world, but it's the spirit of Bonnaroo, complete strangers dropping everything they were doing to help their neighbors without any expectations. That's a damn good Bonnaroo camping story. That's a great camping story. And how many of those do you have? I mean, I think... Well, I do. I have one of those every year when I show up, I drop my stuff out of the car, and then I say, Barry, can yeah, you yeah, set up set my that camp? Up. Denson. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember the first year, maybe the second year, I thought it'd be cool to kind of go by the um, um, uh, lost and found tent and just see what sort of things are being turned in. Right. And there was a guy in front of me, and just as I walked up, the clerk or the person or whatever gave him his wallet he had lost it in the middle of i think radiohead so imagine that crowd he dropped his wallet in that crowd and not only did someone find it 
and take it to Lost and Found, everything that was in it was still in it. No kidding. Yeah, and uh, I, I've told people many, many times, I've never heard so much as a cross word mm-hmm. at Bonnaroo. The vibe, it's real. Um, you know, people, I would see people standing in line and then realize they needed to go get something, so they get out of line and they come back and they go to the back or the front, whichever you, and the people that where they were in place say, no, come on, you know, get back in. and. Yep. Just that kind of thing. Um, it makes it it makes it a lot of fun. You feel it the moment you start checking in. There's yeah. just a different vibe. Uh, by the way, is there? I got a question for you. Are, are the horseback cops still around? Yes. Are they really? I haven't seen one in years. All I remember is is one year uh, being so I guess whacked out of my mind. I looked around. I was like, I think I see horses, but I don't know if this is real or not. If they had stripes or, yeah. or they were purple, you might be really worried. We got this uh, comment from John. I remember my first encounter with the horse security my first year at Bonnaroo in 2008. I didn't have my glasses, couldn't read my map. Being stubborn like I am, I refused to ask for help. Just my luck, one of the horse security ladies could tell I was struggling and lost. She helped me find my campsite that night. I could have used her my first year because yeah. I walked for hours trying to find where I was staying. That camp out there is massive. Yeah, it's and, so big. And people get lost all the time. Yeah, I, yeah, I want to thank everybody for sending their comments. I've sure. tried to to personally respond back to everybody, and if I haven't, uh, I will. Yeah, it means Just a lot to us. Just give me a personal cell phone number. Yeah. Easy. Call uh, me. Yeah, drop us a comment. Uh, get in for Bonnaroo tickets. All you got to do is comment uh, on the podcast feedback, any type of feedback, positive, negative, we don't care. Post it now at thewhatpodcast.com. It's going to get you in for Bonnaroo tickets. Back to the revivalist, the star of this week's The What Podcast. It's amazing to hear that you are so comfortable being back in the studio, even though Dave Cobb's asking you to do other things. Yeah, how much of that is it's, because it's, you guys have done it? You sort of, you, the, the slow and steady, um, do you think you, you yeah, might feel different if this had happened your first album or first single? I, yeah, I think, it, I think it would be a definitely a different thing. I, I certainly think so. But yeah, I think, I think it helps a lot that because we kind of, we kind of built up the, that fan base and all of this support, kind of one person at a time, one town at a time, one six or seven or eight people sleeping on the floor of a single day's in at a time. I think, it, I think it just really helps with kind of the sustainability and the foundation of everything we've got that hits come and go and that stuff could dry up in an instant, but we'll always still have like a, a great community of people behind us and we'll we'll always be able to tour and we'll always be able to have fun and we'll always be able to be the revivalists that, which to me it's just like that's how i sleep at night you know <laughs> that leads me to a good question about the you guys being together who who's the leader of the pack right now with the whole ring going thing who who who's got the best ring going <laughs> i think uh i think i think chris finney's still on top my uh our former uh Producer of a couple of our albums, uh, engineer on a few of our records, uh, guy who sent a student after me at the end of a tour in Atlanta, who's just like, hey, I thought she was going to take a selfie with me. And she's like, this is a picture of Ringo on my phone. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I... Yeah, I think the ball's in our court right now. I think we still need to, like, we, we got, I got to get him back. When was that, Rob? That was, that was uh, after the last show at the Tabernacle, at the end of our last tour. Oh, uh, okay. Well, he got you then, because I, me and Zach were in Vegas over the summer, and there was a nice little picture of, 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 of old Ringo, and I, I sent a, I actually, no, I actually FaceTimed him. It was a good, it was a little, it was a little FaceTime. And he was nice. like, what are you doing, buddy? I was like, no, just, yeah, Zach is just out here, uh, um, you know, hanging in the Vegas, and then boom, <laughs> Ringo. 
That's pretty funny. Boom. We should tell people what we're talking about if they don't know. Uh, anybody who leaves their Facebook page open or leaves their phone without the code, uh-huh. uh, leaves it on the bar stool or the bar top, somebody's going to get it and they're going to put something rude on it or oh, whatever. Yeah. These you guys uh, post pictures of Ringo to each other, so that's that's hilarious boy. about the student bringing. Well, you guys are so much more kind than my yeah. friends because, yeah. uh, boy, I've been pregnant fifteen times. I don't know. <laughs> I see a natural fit. By now, everyone knows you're from New Orleans. Uh, on the same night, Trombone Shorty uh, is playing Bonnaroo, so both of you guys are playing Friday night. I have a feeling that you guys might have something planned together. Well, no, no comment. I'm okay. Gonna, I, I, I'm not going to say that we don't, but I'm not going to say that we do. Okay. As of right now, I'll be honest, we, there's, there's, there's you know, no talk of that. Okay. Well, but I'm putting it in your ear. Not, I'm dropping that, the, the that hint. That's not to say, you know, I, I don't, you know, that's not to say that it won't happen. Okay. I mean, I, I, I love Troy for sure. I love his music. I love his band. I'm, Best friends with his guitar player, like we're great friends, you know. Possibility. There you go, the revivalist, the star of this week's the What Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Hey, follow along the whatpodcast.com or the what underscore podcast on Twitter. We're announcing next week's podcast in the upcoming days. Who will we talk to? What artist will we take a deep dive into? You'll find out the what underscore podcast on Twitter. Barry Corder. I'll see you next week. See you next week. All right. You guys keep sending in those comments yeah. and suggestions. Yes, thank you for your comments, your downloads, and thank you, Rob and Dave, from The Revivalist, therevivalist.com, thewhatpodcast.com. Tickets to Bonnaroo, available there. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Hey, hey, hey. Journey through the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year? That matter. Yay. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corder. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.